Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over 200 different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Welcome back to the Centered in the City podcast. On today's episode, I interview Emma Ramat, who is a private chef based in Austin, in New York City, in the Hamptons, and in many other places throughout the country. On the episode, we explore how do we get to flex this creative muscle in the kitchen? I used to think that cooking was something I had to do, right? I have to eat, I want to save money, so I better learn to cook. But when I started to change my relationship to cooking and really started to connect to the meaning of being in the kitchen, it awoke this whole other side of joy and creativity for me. I realized I had permission to use the kitchen as if I were an artist and the kitchen and my meals were the canvas and it was a form of expression and I was expressing myself by connecting to my body, by connecting to my senses. This is something I talk a lot about in the nourishing recipes I share with the Center in the City membership community. Using this mindful cooking lens to help awake our relationship to how we connect to ourselves and how we create. My hope is that today's episode sparks some creativity inside of you, some curiosity, maybe some spark of joy of how you want to relate to being creative in the kitchen differently. So let's settle into this episode and let's get centered. Emma, welcome to the Center in the City podcast. Thank you for having me. This is so fun to talk about one of my favorite topics of food, cooking, nourishment, all the goodies. And I want to kick us off by having you share with us one of your favorite practices or rituals that you do for yourself on a daily basis. Great question. Um, One thing that I love to do is First thing in the morning when I wake up, I started this ritual very recently since I just moved to Austin um, because the sunlight, as you mentioned and pointed out, is so great here. I will open all of the shades in my house, keep all the lights off and just have that like natural, beautiful light flood into the house with these pretty wood floors and I'll make myself a cup of green tea and I'll just sit in the middle of my living room, which currently has no furniture at the moment and just look at the light and think about my tea and how delicious it tastes in my mouth. And it's a mindfulness practice and it feels really nourishing and a great way to start the day. It makes me really happy. 
Well, I love that. Just letting the light stream in and bathe you. And it sounds like, like feel the warmth of the light on you and the warmth of the tea in the cup and just having that mindful moment with it all. Yeah, absolutely. I feel very present in those moments. And it's before sort of the hectic rush of the day sets in and I can just really just be there enjoying whatever I'm doing in that moment. What inspires you to have green tea as your first beverage of the day? Probably just the trial and error I've and the complicated relationship that I've had with coffee. Um, I cut it out, I would say two years ago. Um, and I just feel so much better without that like jolt of caffeine. And I like that sort of low and slow burn of green tea. It just feels cleaner. It doesn't mm-hmm. hurt my stomach. It's not acidic. It doesn't really wake me up, but I, I don't think I want to be jolted like that. Mm. Um, on a daily basis. I don't feel like it's good for my um, just like equilibrium. Yeah, I've given up coffee. I've gone through, I would say like every year, at least once or twice, I'll give up coffee. Like last year, I gave it up for a month. Sometimes it's just one or two weeks, specifically when I go on a silent retreat, because I can feel the coffee spike my it just, it does. It. I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. You know, it's a drug that just like <laughs> zaps you. And green tea does it it does feel like just this mellow yummy kind of warm nutty caffeinated buzz versus even like black tea i was just curious because also green tea has so many amazing health benefits for you too yeah yeah that's what they say ton of antioxidants um the other thing i forgot to mention is i also have like a favorite mug that brings me a lot of joy it's like a ceramic like gray mug and i always have to have my green tea in that mug did you make the mug? I did not. What shape is it that, that like spoke to you? Because I think this, there's like a lot of psychology to the shapes of our bowls and our mugs that we choose. So what, what shape do you love so much? It, I really like how big the, um, oh, what Handle? yeah, like this guy's kind of small, but it's not comfortable to sort of hold. And this handle is really big. It's also just a beautiful, like, texture that like feels good in my hand and it feels really organic it's kind of an organic shape it's and um it's it feels like it's from nature it feels real it feels like someone made it with their hands it wasn't made in a factory it's interesting talking about like plates and bowls for a moment because when we were picking out our wedding registry i was very picky of having mugs that felt really good as well and then having specifically for me it's bowls like making sure that they're deep enough but not too deep but like portion controlled but also like plentiful and spacious and you know that also felt like very earthy and inspiring to cook in so i think i love that you brought up that point of finding joy in your mug is even just some beautiful intentionality that you bring to your morning practice yeah absolutely i think that everything you said is super important for the inspiration behind doing something creative and you need to feel like your space is really important um it needs to needs to inspire it needs to feel exactly how you want to feel to be able to create i think whatever that means for you Mm -hmm. um and yes you know your bowl your plate it's it all starts from there yeah so tell us about your relationship like how did you get into cooking i got into cooking when i went to college 
I come from a family of just food obsessed people. We are the type of family who I remember um, an ex-boyfriend like came on a family trip with us to Italy um, many, many years ago at this point. And he, he said to me after like day one, he said, I've never met a family who talks about what they're having for dinner at lunch. <laughs> and part of that my family does I feel like part of that is also like culturally Jewish you yes, know <laughs> I think you're right and because to me I, I had no idea what he was talking about I said what do you mean isn't this normal like he he made such a point of it because it really stood out to him and to me that's just how we operate always food obsessed didn't do a ton of cooking growing up but both of my parents are excellent cooks in different ways um so we always had good food around I also grew up in New York City as you did so you know how abundant the food scene is there and we're serious home. about our everything yeah produce so, restaurants right the best of the best takeout delivery so if we weren't cooking at home we were going out to a great restaurant or ordering in or um you know just tasting our way through new york so i think i was always used to having you know options and delicious food around me all the time um and I got to college and it was the first time I had to suddenly, after my freshman year, you know, I gained the, the requisite freshman 15, did that gross dorm food stuff. And then my sophomore year, suddenly I'm in a house with a couple friends and we have to make dinner for ourselves every night. And that was the first time I just, you know, got super into the idea of knowing how to make things for myself and for others what is in these dishes? What ingredients, um, how can I procure the best ingredients? And I remember like going to all of these specialty food stores in Boulder at the time, like trying to, you know, understand how to make good food, basically. I knew what good food tasted like, but I didn't know how to make it. Um, and it started from there. And it just became, I would say, I, I just really went down the rabbit hole and became a bit obsessed, kind of had blinders on. I remember just, you know, watching the Food Network and the Cooking Channel and every possible like media source I could get my hands on to learn about, you know, these reality television shows about food, you know, traveling around the world and tasting things. And um, so it just really kind of took off from there. I mean, I never looked back or stopped cooking. I love it. She's like taking this passion that you grew up with and then noticing, oh my God, I need to be able to survive on my own and then allow that to like feed your curiosity and creativity. So do you work as a private chef? What's your creative process in the kitchen when designing yeah. a, a meal and menu? It really depends on the individual client I'm talking to and working with. And I find, you know, it's definitely of the utmost importance to know how to cook well and have your food be very tasty and visually pleasing and presented beautifully. That's all highly important. But another piece to this line of work is, you know, it's so client facing is how to, you know, interact with people and clients and how there's like a psychology behind sort of what you're asking, how do I get to the bottom of like what you really like and what you want and what your aesthetic is and what your style is and what you hope to get out of this evening? Because it's not just about putting food on the table. It's also about bringing community together and celebrating and having something feel really special and 
you know, knowing when to sort of be seen and when not to be seen and when to introduce things and when to, you know, be hanging in the kitchen. And um, I think it really depends for me on that introductory phone call of getting a sense of who this person is, you know, I'll ask them things like, tell me about some of your favorite restaurants in New York or in LA or wherever we're doing the event. Um, tell me, of course, if you have any allergies and things that you absolutely hate, but like, what's an ideal, you know, what does an ideal dinner look like to you? And then I can sort of create a bit of an image and a story in my mind of what I think that person's looking for. So I think it's definitely that. And it's also that coupled with just my tastes. And it's a little bit of like, well, I'm going to give you what I think I do really well. And hopefully we meet in the middle and it's amazing. But like, I try to be as clear as possible about what my, you know, um, style is and what, um, where I think I shine the most. Like a client recently asked me um, to do like a sushi night dinner party in New York. And I think the chef Emma from five years ago would have been like, sure, I'll just, you know, make sushi how hard is sushi and then the more I thought about it I said I was thinking you know what sushi like just isn't my thing it's not something I market myself as doing I'm not even particularly interested in learning how to make fantastic sushi and I said to her I'm sorry I don't make sushi but I'll find you some sushi chefs who do who are fantastic and way better than I am so it's knowing when to stay in your lane you know to feel confident about the things you do and to feel confident to say that you don't do these things and though that's totally okay wisdom to drop that i think we can relate to in any field that we're in whether we're a personal chef or not you know it's just like own what you're good at know what you're good at don't be afraid to like create that boundary and mm -hmm. not allow yourself to sink into the fear of like not good enough because you're not meeting somebody else's request but it's like actually this is beneficial for both of us if I'm honest and I'm not just trying to people please here. Absolutely. And this line of work is it's, it's very hard to not fall into the people pleasing side because you are doing something really special for someone. It might be a once a year thing. It might be a 50th birthday party. Like it might be an anniversary and there's kind of a lot riding on it for, for them. And you, you want it to be as absolutely special as possible. But yeah, to your point, you also need to know when, hey, I think actually someone else could do this better and I want you to have the best possible experience. For somebody who's not so comfortable in the kitchen, thinking about yourself like back in college, like where do you get started? Because one of the things I hear a lot from friends, Center in the City members, there's not a desire to get in the kitchen, right? It's so much easier just to order delivery. And so finding that why? Like, why do you want to get into the kitchen? I think is sometimes part of the work when, when we're practicing what I call like a mindful cooking ritual, like really diving deep into it, even if it's from this place of like, I want to save money and I want to be financially responsible or for health or for creativity, but to really get to those deeper values. So I'm curious, where would you suggest people go or start to connect to finding that sense of creativity in the kitchen? I think for a lot of people, cooking is really intimidating and overwhelming because there are no rules and it's kind of this amorphous thing. Like, yeah, you can just add more garlic powder to that, or you can omit 10 things, or you can go crazy and, you know, take something from 10 cultures and put it into one dish. And 
to certain people, that's, that's really scary. Um, I would say for a personality type like that, what's really helpful is to follow a recipe, um, to find a dish that you love and just to follow the recipe has step one, it has step two, it has step three. And then from, you know, maybe you do that a few times and then maybe you say, Hey, like, I think I got this. Maybe I don't need to like, look at the recipe book this time. Um, maybe I've memorized the ingredients or just allow yourself. Maybe it's okay. Like maybe I'll add my own little twist on this. Um, I think that would be a good place to start because what I hear most from my clients is that like cooking intimidates them and there's no need for that. Although I do understand it just like anything. It's the more you, you know, the more you do it, the more you feel comfortable in doing it. Yeah. I agree with that because it's, it's like, what is the simplest thing that just gets you in the kitchen? You know, I'm the youngest of three siblings. I grew up not cooking and I was to me too, it's like in college, I had to learn how to cook. And I got to a place where like buying a roast chicken and just having salads or chicken sandwiches all week long burned me out. <laughs> like I became so sick of just getting the whole foods roasted chicken that I was inspired to start actually learning how to fuel myself with different things. And specifically for me, when I was going through chemo and cancer, like I wanted to understand and be in charge, like feeding my body more nutrients. And, and so getting that sense of clarity. And so I just got it started by thinking like, okay, I can learn how to make quinoa. That is the simplest thing. It was actually really intimidating to because right, you got to get water ratio, steam amount. I did not have a rice cooker and, and just like, okay, practicing that. And then once you get that down or just having a simple base, like how you can start to just throw different things into it and from there have this permission to just create like it became kind of like a blank canvas for me to right. just get going it kind of sort of demystifies the whole how you do something you start with one thing and you do it often and then you feel confident in your ability to do that thing that you love to eat like quinoa and then just take it from there i think it really depends on the personality other people myself included, really don't like following any directions. Like even before I knew how to cook, I, it felt very limiting to me and kind of stressful actually. And just giving yourself the permission to create, it's, it's art, it's connecting to your creative outlet within you and you know, giving yourself permission to say, maybe this isn't gonna even taste good. I'm just gonna go for it. I think that's completely right because I that thought of this is going to turn out shitty or what if it doesn't turn out well, I think prevents people from even just trying. And I get like, yes, you don't want to waste food. Yes, you don't want to waste your time. Yes, you don't want to experience maybe that sense of disappointment if something doesn't turn out well. But like, what if it does? I think that's a little bit of our perfectionism when it comes out. Not all the time do we hit the nail on the head the first go around, that sense of trying. One of the things I try to do when going to the grocery store is pick one new vegetable that I haven't played with in a while. So maybe it's a turnip or it's a certain kind of squash or like sunchokes or something that is there that I'm like, huh, what's that? Or maybe it's a certain type of mushroom. And I take it on as like this challenge to get creative in the kitchen. And I might look up a recipe for inspiration, as you were saying, but then totally from there, just practice intuitive and mindful cooking where it's like listening to the senses 
as they come alive and like, okay, does this need more garlic? Does this need more salt? Does this need a little bit more of a spicier spice? I'm curious, like, how do you bring, you talked about mindful eating while you're enjoying your green tea in the morning. I'm curious, like, how do you bring that sense of mindfulness into your cooking practice? I think for me, the more pressure I'm under, the more in the zone I'm in. I'm a very clutch player like that. And um, it's- I'm totally the opposite. I like crumble (laughs) under pressure. (laughs) I crumble under different kinds of pressure, but in this regard, I love the pressure. That's actually what has attracted me to cooking professionally um, to begin with, like after college. Um, It's just this, this like hour or two before service where everything needs to come together and the whole night's riding on it. Like, and so, you know, maybe you're chit-chatting with people in the kitchen you're listening to your podcast, you're a little bit absent-minded as you're chopping up some carrots or onions, but then suddenly it's 4.30 and you know, you have to put everything out at six o'clock and you know, you have 10 things to do and every one of them needs to happen before six. Um, And it's kind of like do or die. And so I just do. It's the best way to explain it. It's, it, it, it actually makes me feel the most in the flow and the most in the zone. And um, like, I can't hear or see anything beyond exactly what I'm doing. And it's kind of this rush of adrenaline. It's also quite exhausting. Like when service is done and everything's out, it's, a, it's an immediate pressure drop. I can like feel the adrenaline leave my body and I become very tired. Mm. Do you have a practice for yourself of what you do maybe to center yourself before you get into the kitchen and something to help you kind of downregulate after all of that adrenaline leaves your body? Um, I try to drink a lot of water throughout the day. I think that's the most important thing. It's really easy for me to get dehydrated and just to forget to drink because I'm not thirsty. Um, and I just try to always make sure I'm hydrating. Um, so that's super important. Also, because I'm kind of tasting throughout the day, I try not to eat like a, a an actual meal when I'm cooking all day, because that also really exhausts me and like too much in my stomach to digest. Um, so I try to keep the food really light when I'm cooking for somebody. And then as soon as I'm done, I really try to eat an actual meal. I think that's really good for my nervous system um, to like sit down, not be standing and, you know, quickly having a bite here, a bite there and, and enjoying whatever it is I'm eating. But it's funny, more often than not, I would say like 90% of the time, all I want to eat is fruit afterwards. I and so I sometimes have to force myself, like, make sure you have some protein, you know, make sure you have a green thing. But I really just want, because you're in a hot kitchen, you're likely dehydrated. All I want is like a sweet, juicy, refreshing thing. That's so interesting. You sound like you're an athlete, right? That you're like going into prep, like hydrating, going into this, you know, two hour, maybe a little bit more game time zone. Have to be yeah, super focused. Hour... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You no, know, yeah, it's like two hour focus time. And then, okay, afterwards that crash, the refuel, replenish your system. Yeah, yeah, I would. it's true. I, I don't tend to think of it in those terms, but I can totally see the parallels. The two hours, bef- the two hours leading up to, you know, putting out the food is like 
is sort of the end of maybe like an eight or 10 or 12 hour day generally of, you know, going food shopping, prepping, maybe you're also prepping the night before, um, you know, doing everything you need, need to do to get things in order, like right before go time. And so, yeah, it's sort of like the last and final push and when the adrenaline is needed the most. And it's a really fun and exciting feeling. It does feel like I'm at, yeah, it does feel like I'm, I'm sort of competing. I don't know against who exactly, but that I need to, you know, finish, come across that finish line like strong. What inspires you when you go food shopping, prepping for an event? How do you get your inspiration from, obviously you have your the meal plan and the menu, but like when you go food shopping in the supermarket or farmer's market, how do you get inspiration to what you select and how maybe even build off of your menu based on what you see fresh that day? I tend to save like 15% of my menu for what is in front of me, what I'm seeing with my own eyes, what is freshest, what excites me, what's beautiful. That's really important. I, I don't follow the menu to an exact T. I need to have room to improvise or to switch up the game plan. If suddenly all the bronzino I'm seeing, like, had, you know, all their eyes are kind of cloudy. I don't want to serve that. So yeah, it's being dynamic and, and flexible in the moment. When you cook for yourself, how do you approach it? The same, different? When I cook for myself, I think to many people's dismay, it's as simple as humanly possible. And I think people assume a chef at home makes these intricate meals for them. It couldn't be more, you know, further from the truth. I make scrambled eggs a lot if I'm feeling frisky. Um, most of the time it's like a hard boiled egg. I have cereal and milk a lot with some berries on top. I do yogurt, basically anything I don't have to make. I'm like pretty thrilled about. Don't get me wrong. I love to cook for my friends and my family. It's just not that exciting to cook for one. And especially when you are cooking all day professionally, it's generally not that exciting to cook for anyone else on a daily basis that way. I'll also do like you had mentioned, like I love quinoa too, or brown rice or farro. If I have the time and the mental space on like a Sunday afternoon, I'll do some sort of grain. I'll buy some lettuce leaves. I'll cook off some type of protein and chop up a bunch of raw veggies and be able to sort of mix and match like little lunches like that for myself for the week, which feels really nourishing and healthy. Yeah, that's one of my favorite go-tos is just having the ability to to build, I call it creativity in a bowl, to yeah. be able to layer different things and have different proteins, different veggies at your fingertip and just mix and match with different sauces and flavors because that's where we can keep it really simple. Yeah, but also interesting. Yes. Yeah. And good for you, right? And yeah. like it's something that feels really balanced. Absolutely. Big fan. I think a lot of listeners may be single and like what what ways can it be fun to cook for one? Um, you can do it with a friend. I find it's fun to like get on a phone call or a FaceTime and both be in the kitchen together but apart. You can adapt a recipe from your favorite restaurant or a favorite dish from your favorite restaurant that you love, you know, make it more personal. You can watch a video. I like some of those Bon App videos. Those can be inspiring and fun, something on YouTube. One of the things that I remember doing as a single 
woman was thinking about cooking as my creative time. Cooking became my main outlet to use color, to get inspired. And so it felt like, okay, this, yes, I might be alone in the kitchen, but I'm not lonely to allow myself to like have have fun trying new things, even if I was kind of making the same recipes over and over again, but like to, again, bring in a new vegetable, spice it up. Another aspect is like baking here a lot. is like, I don't want to bake cookies and then have all the cookies stuck in my house. So it's like, okay, can you bake something that you love that you're excited about and bring half of it to your coworkers or to your neighbor or freeze them? I mean, I love baking cookies and freezing them just in general. That's how I eat my cookies. But like, but you know, like, so there's ways that we can give ourselves permission to play in the kitchen and also I think like do it in a balanced way that's not taxing and boring and also not restricting but giving giving us permission even if we're one person oh absolutely yes the times that I had more um sort of days where I wasn't in the kitchen all all the time I'd love getting in the kitchen in my own house and yeah, I find it very creative and soothing, especially when you have the time to do it, when you can allocate, hey, this evening is for cooking, even if it's just for me, and give yourself that time and space and do it in a, in a relaxed way. Have a glass of wine in your hand and put on your favorite music. That is such a relaxing ritual for me to unwind and to cook a delicious meal. And yeah, if you're alone, I don't mean to sound pessimistic on cooking for one. Um, it can be a really beautiful experience where you're not going to, you know, spare any details just because it's for you. Like if anything, maybe you do the exact opposite and you go all out because it's just for you. I love that. Yeah. It's like permission to like make it the fanciest meal yeah. if you want, if you want Pick to go there, why not treat your... yourself? Uh, yeah, exactly. Pick out all your favorite and fanciest serveware and dishware and just have a little party for yourself. That's really like self-love. Yeah. I love that. Emma, thank you for sharing your creativity and love and passion for food where can people learn more about you and stay connected thanks for having me on the podcast um, people can find me on my website emmaramat.com e-m-m-a-r-a-m-a-t.com and my new instagram called private chef emma they want to give that a follow amazing thanks for being here thank you wade I welcome you to pause right here and reflect on what you've learned and listened to the last 30 minutes. What does being creative in the kitchen look and feel like for you these days? And what's one tiny action step that you want to practice this next week to support you flexing this creative muscle in the kitchen? Maybe that's picking a new recipe and FaceTiming with a friend while you cook in the kitchen. Maybe that's trying a new vegetable and learning a new recipe. Maybe it feels fun and fancy to bust out some new dishware just for you or you and your family. Or maybe you're hungry to explore a mindful cooking recipe uncentered in the city. Whatever it may be, think about what's one action step you want to try this next week and share it with us on Instagram. Tag at one Wade and at Private Chef Emma. And let's support each other being creative in the kitchen. Thanks so much for listening and being here as always. 
If you feel inspired, take a moment to rate and review this podcast. It means so much. Until next time, stay centered.